Welcome to the Daily Combat Podcast. The Daily Combat Podcast is brought to you as always by Olympic hopeful turned boxer and all-round sporting polymath Isabella Rossitano, arm wrestling influencer Hollywood Matt Connolly, and combat sports ring announcer Dave Stockbridge. So join Izzy, Dave, and Matt as we talk about the world of combat sports on this episode of the Daily Combat Podcast. Rolls over that windscreen ain't saving you. You got um, launched out of the car. Oh well, uh, you know what it is is that my dad turned right on the square and I just <laughs> slipped out. <laughs> and he just kept going. Well, I'll see you at home. So oh my, my thong, uh, my my, leg, my my foot came astray and my thong just came off. Well, and that was that was that was yeah that was the end. Of was it. that your phone that you threw? Yeah, that, that, I, I may have flung my iPhone and so, to demonstrate to yeah. demonstrate the where the how the the, the trajectory of the the thong as it flew out the side well, of the of the I, vehicle. I just, it reminds me I hired like a moving truck to move house <laughs> and like it was a hundred bucks and it was like you know hundred bucks for three days or something. So Super cheap. I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> and I go in the car. Well, sorry, it was a big van thing. And, you know, I'm not used to not being able to see. In, out of, there was no rear vision mirror. So you're trying to use side mirrors. And the steering wheel, no matter <laughs> where you put it, it was there was no straight. <laughs> play. It was, it Lots was of like, play. It was like you'd have to. You'd have to like yeah, go estimating. a little bit that way and a little bit that way and then a little bit that way and you'd be bouncing, you'd and be bouncing the whole time. And there were <laughs> I remember hitting like a bump and I fucking launched. Mm. Up. I hit my head on the roof. I'm like, no, no. Oh, here. <laughs> <laughs> to the wheel and you're trying to get it straight again. <laughs> it was weaving down the road like this. Was, you couldn't find a. St- you'd be like, okay, I'll get to the middle, and you'd be like, now it's going that way. Now it's going that way. <laughs> I, um, I was I was talking about this yesterday. A mate of mine had to dodge uh, an old Dodge truck. It's got a three eighteen V eight in it, and uh, uh, sounds sounds like it's going a lot faster than it actually is. And uh, he said, "What? Why don't you have a drive? Go check it out. It's got a ten speed gearbox. It's five speed split. Right. And so uh, you take off and it's." <coughs> It's kind of like, now you're going 10 k's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're up the walking speed, and then uh, I got to a roundabout, and you know, oh. I, I know how to deal with a roundabout. Uh-oh. And uh, <clears throat> and uh, drop it down a year, and I go to turn the wheel, and nothing's happening. And then the the the, the, the roundabout's approaching, and Uh-oh. still nothing's going on. So now I'm understeering severely going through the roundabout, but then I'm going off in the other direction. <laughs> in the end, I just turn left. Okay, so I wanted to go straight, but it's just easier to go left. We'll, we'll work our way around that. We're going this way now. Whatever way the car, whatever way the truck wants to go, I'm going with it. Okay, I'm not going to fight against it. This is a force of nature. I'm wow. just going to work with it. I'm going to ride the wave. 
And uh, did he say, oh, where are we going? And you're like, oh, no, it's just a short oh, there, car. No. There, there was nobody else in the car, oh. the, the truck at the time. You know, he just said, take it for a drive, see what you think. He's like, yeah, yeah but that'll be an adventure. And it was. You know, it, it took me probably 15 minutes longer to get back to it, it with fantastic. this truck. But yeah, it was yeah. good fun. Uh, you, you ever driven a car with a column shift? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Confuses uh, the hell out of people. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I had my first car was a Holden Kingswood ah. column shift. Yeah. And, uh, and I remember one of my, my mates at high school, because, you know, first car, you're 16 or whatever, you got your P's. And it's like, yes, I can drive it on the road. And great. And then one of my other mates finally got his P's. Oh, I'll go for a drive with you. Um, I'll drive it. Yeah, cool. Gets in and he's going, where's what? the, where's the, how do I, <laughs> how, do you, how do I, where's, how do I put it in drive? <laughs> Death proof. Death proof. Yeah. Because yeah. it was uh, bench seats. Yes, yes, and, yes. And it was like there was no, uh, you know, whatever they're called, the, the gear stick thing. Yeah. Not, not no gear shit. Yeah, no lever in the yeah, middle. Yeah. yeah. Not, not in a manual. There's no H pattern. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I'm like, it's column shift. And he's like, I was like, oh, no, what? No, huh? No. What? <laughs> and so, I had to, you know, pull it forwards and then you can turn it to, the, oh, great. And then he's like, Where's the handbrake? The handbrake's yeah, on the right. <laughs> and it was like a like a shotgun. Yeah. <laughs> and you'd pull it up and click it and then let it drop and it would go smack. Yes. Yeah. 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 When it hit the hit the, that's when you knew you were okay. Yeah, to go. no, you could no, yeah. you can go. Yeah. <laughs> I uh I, I had a um, uh, an X D uh Ford Falcon. So this oh, yeah. is a nineteen eighty Ford Falcon. It would have been the cheapest Ford Falcon <laughs> you could buy in nineteen eighties. It was Beige. It had a um, a standard Falcon had a two fifty uh, six cylinder mm-hmm. engine, two fifty cubic inch six cylinder engine. This had eight, a eight ton. This yeah. said this had a, a, a two hundred <laughs> engine. It was the cheaper version of that. Uh, the standard model came out with a four speed manual on the floor. Right. This one had a three speed on the tree, like ah. it was. And I'd never driven one uh, on the tree before. And yeah. uh, it's so. Uh, and when I bought the car. Knowing I needed a little cheap car or a cheap car to get back and forth, I only paid five hundred dollars yeah. from the original owner. So you know, uh, it's probably worth forty grand. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, and so I picked it up, and it was night time, and uh, you know they they go out the front to wave you off because <laughs> you've just bought the car and you signed the thing, and it's like yeah, yeah, yeah no, see ya, you go inside <laughs> so I can drive away, and then uh, I turned the key quite confidently. I knew yeah, that worked well, and then I stood there and I was like, oh. <laughs> Well, what do I, what do I, what do I, what do I do now? <laughs> I got three pedals and one thing on the, th- and uh, so I fumbled around and you know and uh, anyway uh, they they got bored enough to go inside. Oh, good. And then uh, I picked a gear, but it was it, it must have been second, and it, oh. it didn't like going. And then yeah. so I took a little little bit of practice, you know, to yeah. to, to get the hang of. And um, but it was it was quite it was quite alien, and and uh, and often you know you accidentally pick reverse instead of a forward mm. gear and you know yep. you know these are obviously the reasons why we don't have three yeah. on the trees in 2022 because yeah. people would fucking die <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. hello everybody this is hollywood mad connolly with the double biceps it's a little bit trickier in this shirt it is a polo shirt it is not a t-shirt that's fine but we will get there i'll just give it a bit of a slide there you go uh, we'll work around it I and like uh, it. <laughs> welcome to the daily combat podcast uh my co-host co-founder co-entrepreneur co 
Bicep flexor. Bicep flexor. Uh, <laughs> winner of the Dave Stockridge of the Year Award, 47 years in a row. Uh, although he didn't lose it a couple of years uh, in the early 90s. We don't want to talk to, about that. Oh, that's right. Vince, uh, Vince Ronaldo. Vince Ronaldo. Mm. Uh, the, uh, but you did win the hair machine of the year. Of the, of the weir, uh, of I, the I won the hair <laughs> salon of the year in the years that he won. That's right. Dave Shropwich of exactly. the Year Award. So it kind of does balance out. But mm. I still think that he... Feels like he was entitled to right. hair salon of the year. Yeah. Given that I don't know how to cut hair or have a hair salon, he's probably right. <laughs> Do you think that the hair salon of the year trophy mm. looks like a trophy, but it's got the curly hairstyle on the side to go yeah. along with Vince yeah, well, Ronaldo? Whereas with the with the trophy, you'd normally got the handles on either side of the trophy. With this, just has some trestling <laughs> permed hair. <laughs> Just, just like rollers. They're just cascading down either side of the cup, right. which, which serves the same purpose yes. as the handle, but are, are, are far more delicate and attractive. Right. Mm. What, what did the Dave Stockridge of the Euro Trophy look like? Oh, it was just a, it was just a dome <laughs> and with some pointy ears. <laughs> and so, what you, when you grabbed hold, you actually grabbed hold of the held of oh, the ears. Right. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it was a different design, mm. um, but it suited me, and yeah. they look good on the mantelpiece. Yeah. It was mm. sort of like a, a, an homage to like uh, the uh, early uh, English teachers that used to pick kids up by the ears. It, it may there, there may be some cultural references okay. there, but yeah. uh, I mean I can't speak for the designer, right. but, I, but I can say that uh, it's not an accurate depiction of my own ears. <laughs> okay, uh, as one ear, as you can see, has been, mm. been well and truly uh, cut across the top, mm. and so uh, and that is exactly why I wear these earmuffs every Ronaldo. week. Well, there there was that time in the early nineties where there was a little bit of friction, and uh, we thought I, I, I thought, look, I, what I'm going to do here, I'm I'm going to see the great man myself. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, let's let's put, put this to rest. Put this to rest, and uh, and uh, Vincent yep. was, was good. Uh, he he said, look, uh, "Come down, come down, and we 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 we'll talk about it uh, like we're, we're like men." And so uh, so I went down, and he said, "You know, it's a, you're a nice boy, so let's." Uh, you, but you need a haircut, and back then I had more hair, and uh, you know, and, and not long thereafter, right? This but is what we've got. I mean, if you look at the other ear, pure jealousy. Let's show the viewers just so they got perspective. Yeah. You can see quite clearly. Was that represented on the trophy? No, 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 no. Um, well, you wouldn't have anything to pick up. The trophy on one side would be lopsided. It, it wouldn't would be asymmetrical. Yeah, it would be asymmetrical. It wouldn't. And um, so, um, anyway, so I, I'm not going to get into it. There's some, you know, some legal things. I can't talk right. about things in detail. But what I can say is that there's, you know, for the viewers at home, there's quite obviously a difference between the left ear and the right ear mm. and um, whether or not Vincent Ronaldo was involved is uh, still before the courts. So, <laughs> no, so it could have been an accident. Ah, he yeah. claims it, it, perhaps it was. Can we get him on the show? We'd love to. Right. Um, I'd, I'd like to talk through this and, and other issues, yeah. um, especially that early 90s rivalry and um, <laughs> and I'd like to know what he perhaps did with the Dave Sotridge of the Year Awards yeah. uh, for the two years. That I he wonder did. if he's, he's got like a special room in his house of yeah. the Hair Salon of the Year Awards. Mm. Like just because you'd need, he's won that. Yes. A lot. He had more <laughs> awards than years and salons, um, which is amazing. It was a, a huge accomplishment. Right. And we shouldn't take anything away from, no. the, from the great man. That's um, right. uh, but, um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Absolutely. But uh, what, what you're saying basically is that 
you're all for freedom of speech, but anyone is opposed to freedom of speech, they'll be crushed under the heel of your jackboot. So, <laughs> well, and as Vincent would say, um, you know, watch out what you say. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm going to keep it there because uh, one of you still looks good, <laughs> and uh, you never know. Uh, you never know. Uh, yeah, an unfortunate haircut. Who, who, who uh, you know, who's aligned mm. uh, with Vincent um, in the hairdressing <laughs> Powerful world? Powerful in the We industry. all need haircuts, right? And so you've got to be very, very careful mm. what you say about the great man because anybody. With the pair of scissors, um, can be his friend yeah, and it could uh, be an ally. Yeah. Uh, so uh, they've got the special marking. We, on we wish wrist. Vincent all the very best. All the very best. <laughs> I remember uh, only recently I went to my, my hairdresser. Vincent. He's great. We love him. We, we, we'd love to. We'd love to talk to him. It'd be fantastic. We <laughs> want to meet him now. Yeah, absolutely. He's built up in my mind. Oh, it's because he was on TV for my entire t- childhood, childhood <laughs> winning the hair salon of the year yeah. award. Yeah. Um, so it was a very. Big fixture in my adolescence. <laughs> yeah, adolescence. It's a pivotal fact, pivotal character in your in your development years. For sure, and uh, you know uh, <laughs> there'd be many people. There'd be many people wondering whether or not they've got the right haircut, yeah. or you know, do they look good? Do they mm. don't? And uh, for many, many years here in Adelaide, uh, Vincent was the arbiter of that. And, <laughs> um, so uh, he would be able to tell you whether you look good or you don't, whether your perm is on point or whether it needs to loosen up a little bit or whether you you had too much product or not enough. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was the standards that Vincent set mm. uh, through mm. the 80s and 90s, yeah. which Rich really did um, lay down the, the groundwork for the haircuts we see today. Right. So we do stand on the shoulders of giants. That's right. Mm. Yeah, just the right amount of zhush, I believe. Yeah. That's the secret word is zhush. zhush. Mm. <laughs> you can zhush. Um, and, and I think that was probably why he won, won so many awards over so, such a long period of time. Makes sense you, Everybody's got a pair of scissors, but not everybody. <laughs> He understands the Josh. That's the best intro we've ever done. These are the things you can't do on Ryan, but right, because exactly. people are actually watching. <laughs> the chat would just be like, you guys are not. What the fuck? <laughs> It's fantastic. fantastic. So welcome to the show. It's not a show about Vincent Renato as much as we try to make it about it. It's meant to be be about combat sports. Um, And and, uh, and so today, 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 the big episode, the episode... Everybody is. Uh, we're we're going to call this the Overeem episode. This is oh, the okay. this, is a, this is the episode about uh, drugs in sport ah. and, the, and the big the big controversy um, around sport at the mm. moment, um, especially in those sports that are largely unregulated. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, we, we we love one of those sports, arm wrestling, mm. and um, and it's not a heavily regulated sport. In other words, you you don't have a SADA coming in and uh, testing the athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a great deal of conjecture in the arm wrestling world right now as mm-hmm. two of the, the greats of the sport collide in an upcoming battle. Um, and, uh, and, and in terms of who's taking what, and it's almost assumed, almost assumed within the arm wrestling community that our top contenders, our number one and number two in the world, are on something. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that is and what quantities, we don't exactly know uh, 
we, we don't actually know. So I don't want to cast any necessary dispersion. This is all rumour and hearsay, but it's rumour and hearsay that hits a number of combat sports. And uh, uh, so, so Matt, we, we were talking a little bit off-air about this particular subject and mm-hmm. the sensitivities around it. And uh, one, you've got a regulatory environment. So as mainstream sports start to punctuate the, um, uh, the public's consciousness, much as MMA has, they become mm-hmm. much stricter. There was a... Uh, a time not too in the not too distant past where pride fight series mm-hmm. or fight championship i should say not mm-hmm. to besmirch Cardi angel's wonderful uh, promotion but mm-hmm. uh pride was was known for the juicy juicy athletes mm-hmm. and um and uh, we all know about prime vita belford and yeah. uh, and prime uberim mm-hmm. um and uh, uh and and have seen those athletes um trounce their opponents when in peak juicy juicy form um and uh, to only find themselves a shadow uh, of their former selves uh when entering the ring sometime later and no longer under the uh the effects of uh of the uh the supplementation Mm -hmm. Um, so uh this is a a, quite the minefield and it seems like ufc are on top of it now you know i don't think anybody would look at the ufc these days and uh and see say um, any of the athletes um and think well look they're, they're quite obviously on mm-hmm. uh the supplements mm-hmm. um but uh outside of that there's a whole lot of uh sports that are kind of and promotions with with even within the combat sports world that uh, you'd be a little bit more skeptical of oh absolutely yeah the amateur sports especially the ones that you know doesn't have that regulatory body that's overseeing that's testing even you look at say bodybuilding shows and this is what i always find kind of funny and sad in its own way is you've got your untested shows and then you've got the natural shows mm. or the tested shows and it's like if you're going to compete in bodybuilding you have your your, your and they're the giant classes the IFBB they don't test mm. and it's like these are the premier organizations you know and then you've got your other side of it which is your natural competitions and mm. guys are using stuff in the natural competitions yeah it's like it's just ridiculous to me uh you know if somebody that desperate to win it's mm. like well how can you feel good about yourself that you that you cheated you've got an organization you can go in if you want to use stuff that's where you want to be yeah but oh you can't win in that okay well you're gonna have to go in the natural one and win in that which is just kind of ridiculous to me so I, w- I want to talk maybe today about three sports in particular: bodybuilding, mm-hmm. um, because uh, it's almost accepted practice. Mm-hmm. Um, then we've got, uh, say, uh, combat sports, where it's a little bit squirrely. Some mm-hmm. promotions can afford to test, others can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's an enormous amount of goodwill. Uh, we've also got a history in that sport of, of athletes using um, to to maximal effect in in the cage or in the ring, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and and perhaps less so now at the elite level mm-hmm. and then we've got some up and coming sports like arm wrestling where it's uh, it's still a, a bit of a wild west and uh, there's not uh, a testing regime and where uh, there's not a an overarching league or an authority that's managing the sport. So mm. it's really up to the promoters and whatever the promoters are willing to permit. So um, can perhaps if we uh, – is there a comparison between um, yeah. Uberim oh, yeah. in Uber form That's right. and uh, Overim <laughs> as as a normal human being? Yeah. Maybe I'll give a, a little background on on this. We talked about this once before on the on the show <laughs> that his levels were astronomically high. And the funny thing is that he didn't get he didn't test positive for a certain substance. Mm. Like um, he didn't get popped for um, you know a name brand 
steroid. Yeah. He he's his levels of testosterone to epitestosterone were just astronomically high. So, so what, what, what's, what's the normal level? <laughs> the for normal a, level for a normal human would being. Be so you you or me, yeah. just normal people. Okay, so it, or even reasonably athletic, right? You know, yeah. Human so a, a normal male um, would sit somewhere between one and four, mm-hmm. right? In testosterone, epitestosterone. Yeah. Uh, if you're a genetic freak, one in a billion, you might get as high as six. Wow. Right? And uh, Overeem tested at 40. (laughs) 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 So, yeah, obviously using. uh, Yeah. But so he was masking it with, you know, probably other agents in terms of that's why he didn't get caught for a specific substance. Yeah. Uh, But then, so to get around that, the test is, you know, this is the cat and mouse game of it, you know, that. The athletes will find a new path, uh, and then the testing agents, which are always behind, um, mm. they'll have to figure out how to identify that new path. And that's one of the newer ones that they picked up on is, okay, we can't find these certain substances. We're pretty damn sure this guy's using something. Uh, so let's go with this other thing. You can't fake that, and it's going to be very obvious. Hang on, how? why are you at 40? That's, yeah. that's yeah, like nobody in history would ever be that. <laughs> you can't be mm. that without using something. Be the tomatoes. Yeah. Be the, well, I, the, did, oh, did, some milk. Yeah. <laughs> he, did, he did blame some steak horse. He was be eating horse. Steak. He was eating horse meat. Horse meat. <laughs> Poisoned horse meat. <laughs> Poisoned Tate, with testosterone. <laughs> race winner on Saturday. Right. Yeah. Ibrahim's dinner on Sunday. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and then obviously he got he got busted for that. Um, he got did. suspended, and when he came back, um, so what did, what did Uberim look like like peak prior can, to can that? We, we, Humongous. Can we Humongous. do a little quick uh, oh, thing? Absolutely. So uh, uh, there there was a discernible there was a discernible difference, and there was a discernible difference in performance as that's before. Yeah. Uh, there we go. Yeah, we'll get this one. Look. So, and we're trying to um, pause it on a certain time. Recognize our uh, our friend with the the, with the um, yeah. So that's there's there's that's the early fight days he was fighting in. I think he was actually fighting either in Pride or in uh, one of the Japanese. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, he he ended up in K one as well, and he was the K one champion, which is just straight kickboxing. But I believe at this time he was fighting in pride. He fought Chuck Liddell. Uh, it was a lot smaller. Um, you know, he was struggling to uh, stay at that weight class. I think he was fighting at 93 kilos or something. Wow. Uh, and He's then, a tall guy too. Yeah, that's right. And then obviously throughout the progression, you can see the, the amount of muscle that he's put on to uh, progress his career. Yeah. And... And you can say, you know, as an athlete, ages, especially, a, you know, quite a physical athlete, you mm-hmm. know, uh, uh, they, they're going to, you know, fill out a little bit, but um, <laughs> does their jaw get that much wider? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, he was, so he's a little bit of a background. So at the time when on the left here where he was fighting uh, in pride at a certain weight class, he said he wasn't lifting weights at all. He said if he lifted weights, he was going to put on weight. Like mm-hmm. he's... His, his body responded very well to, to you know, building muscle. Yeah. To stay at 93 or, or under kilos, he needed to be on very strict diet, no weights. Just if he put, you know, suddenly lifted weights, he's going to put muscle on. 
and he's going to get bigger and he can't make that weight class anymore. So he was also running a magazine at that time uh, with his brother, I believe it was his brother, and he was investing a lot of time into the magazine. Uh, he lost a few fights in a row and he's like, no, I need to give up on the magazine. I need to focus purely on fighting. And that's what he did. And then he started to increase in size uh, significantly, as you can see there. Yeah. Uh, so he changed his name to the Demolition Man. Mm. And he was the Demolition Man. He was destroying yeah, everybody. Was. Yeah, there was that time the, when he was unstoppable. Yeah, the Uber Knee was uh, his <laughs> special move. He would grab people with a tie clinch and knee their face off <laughs> <laughs> so look at him there oh what yeah that was probably his peak on the right I would there say. at uh, UFC it's kind of amazing because it's, it's not it, it looks like he's he's five weeks out from a bodybuilding competition yeah. he doesn't look like he's re- about ready to step in the ring oh that's right yeah, yeah I think that was when at- he was fighting Brock Lesnar um, there's quite a good video of him uh at that weigh-in, mm. and uh, one of the ring girls, Ariane Celeste, who's standing behind him, her reaction is classic. She's just <laughs> like, you know, shocked, just like, holy crap! <laughs> yeah, there he is. There, um, just amazing, just yeah. a specimen, and yeah. and and to stand there next to Brock Lesnar and to mm. dwarf him, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. Like, that's, that's insane. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness! So cutting weight to make it under 100 ki- 120 kilos. So you know, one hundred twenty was the the limit you could be at heavyweight in the UFC. Mm. And he had to cut down to get under 120. <laughs> well, same with Brock. So, and then obviously won the, the match there. I'm hoping to get a uh, an after mm. photo here, which might not be in this video. But you can see that that's his... Uh, peak, yeah, peak Uber in right, right a, there. Uh, an after. And and in those days of the UFC, was there, was there a testing regime, anything that you're familiar with? or There was, but it was not as stringent as it was as it is now yeah uh, they improved their their regime. testing regime significantly uh mm. they're now with usada which is the you know, overseeing olympic body so yeah. they're very very strictly monitored and, and one of the dilemmas for up-and-coming sports or for sports where there's not a lot of money involved for usada like the testing uh regime is very expensive for mm. those uh sporting associations to sign up to it uh, because essentially when the organisation does sign up to it, they're saying any of our athletes can be tested at any time. Uh, they have to submit to a test. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, they're, they'll be disqualified from competition for a period of time within that organisation mm-hmm. or banned uh, for the, forever. Yeah. Um, so there's some real consequences. Um, so we're, we're just panning through some of the mm-hmm. uh, That's the That's the after there. You can see the difference in terms of, Muscle size that is that has dropped. I probably actually probably get better get a better result off of Google Images, but mm. um, yeah, they just want a side by side comparison. But you're absolutely right that yeah, the, the athletes now are very strictly monitored. Yeah, uh, and yeah, they've got whereabouts uh, checks. They have to you know if they're going to go away from where they usually like their their usual house and then their usual gym that they train at. Mm. If they're going to be away from that, they have to let you start to know their whereabouts. And yeah. it's like, I'm, I'm not going to be here. I'm going, I don't know, out of state to California for three days. Yeah. I'll be here. And then they'll get tested there, you know. Like, yeah. it's the, they've got people around the world that do these tests. So you can't really escape it. So but. at the elite MMA level, this uh, especially, well, within the UFC, 
This <laughs> the piece of examples here. That's <laughs> such a great Google search. Yeah. Uh, so uh, they're, 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 this is now virtually impossible. Um, Dana White would not want to see this in now. Is this what fans want to see, though? Like, if you've got a jacked-up Brock Lesnar mm-hmm. against a, a peak Uberim, mm-hmm. as we see him at the top there, is that attractive for sports fans? Do sports fans want to see oh, absolutely. that? Yeah. Sports fans absolutely love it. So they, they want the biggest, scariest, strongest, craziest. craziest, most muscular, powerful dudes that they're going to be fighting and then destroying each other. Yeah. The, the, the problem is, the reality is that the, the athletes are putting their health and safety mm. uh, on the line. And if you're going up against somebody that might be, they might unnaturally five times stronger than what they should be. Yeah. In a combat sports situation where they are punching, kicking, throwing you on your head, mm. you know, and it's and not only is it unfair, it's so dangerous. Yeah, that's that's the argument with it, uh, and you can see it with with combat sports in spe- uh, well specifically where you know you've got that physicality where you are actually physically overcoming your opponent with mm. with striking, with with grappling, with submissions, you know. Uh, putting your entire body against somebody's joint, you know, yeah, that sort of thing. And, and testosterone just isn't a strength thing, but it's a reaction thing. Mm-hmm. It's an instinctual thing. It, recovery, it a re- recovery, mood, all of these things, mm-hmm. which can uh, uh, impact on the moment to moment decision making within a yeah. within a particular fight. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not that you would be going in and saying, "Oh, the person won that fight because the steroids allowed their kick to be," you know, it's not that, but. The majority of the time, it's if they're doing like a twelve-week training camp leading up to the actual fight, and if they're using stuff the entire time, they are able to train so much harder than a person who's not using anything that might have a really hard training session on Monday and they haven't recovered fully until Wednesday, maybe Thursday. Mm. Whereas the person who's using might be good to go the next day, and then the next day, and the next day, and they're gaining so much more out of what they're doing for their training camp and mm. which gives them a significant advantage for the time they get into the cage yeah and it's like that confidence that aggression um, the skill sets and the recovery that they would have over those that time frame to step into the cage and have those benefits over somebody who doesn't have that mm. and you're going to get that in every sport if somebody is using something the difference with combat sports specifically mma or kickboxing or anything where you're throwing punches and kicks and you know limbs at the other person's face, head, body, uh, you can be doing serious damage to that person. And, yeah, I think that's where it, people are saying, well, this, you know, as much as the audience wants to see the, the biggest and you want to see people tearing their, each other's limbs off, you know, yeah. it's like, but in reality, it's like if you're an athlete going into that sport and it's like, well, I don't want to be fighting somebody that, is unnaturally three times stronger than they should be. Like, yeah. I want it to be, and it's never going to be a fair playing field. So, because it takes away the decision of the athlete that wants to play fairly, they mm-hmm. they, they essentially do need to take to perform That's right. at that highest level. Exactly. Um, so, and as much as it can be a spectacle for those people that are tuning in or, mm-hmm. or putting their money down for the pay-per-view, and that might be why they're putting their money down for the pay-per-view, long-term prospects for the athletes and the sport. Yeah. It's almost like a, a diminishing returns that will happen right. over time. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and now with the UFC, you know, with their ridiculous oh – I'm not going to say ridiculous, but the very, very stringent. strict and stringent testing protocols, you know, athletes are 
different to what they were yeah. uh, even five years ago. And yeah. has it hurt the sport? I don't think it has. I don't think it has in terms of that they've still got a lot of popularity, that it's grown, that people are watching, that the fights are still exciting. But mm. I think there is a difference in terms of the power levels, the the <laughs> the, the athletes in general, I think, were just this superhuman, like crazy mm. strong guys prior to and yeah. but it maybe it's putting a little bit more emphasis on strength it does seem to be that with uh mma in general a lot of the larger guys you don't have as many really big pure heavyweights it's it's not a gen it's it's a rarer thing to find that somebody that's that's huge that's tall that's strong uh that is athletic enough that is willing to put in the time to learn the techniques of wrestling, kickboxing, jiu-jitsu, uh, and have the desire and drive to go and be a competitive fighter. So you always find the heavyweight divisions, light heavyweight divisions, generally have less competitors. Mm-hmm. And the majority of, I guess, people around the world are sort of sitting around that middleweight and below. Kind of, and, and it goes the same. The lighter, you know, the lighter you go, the less people you're going to get on that extent, yeah. on that end as well. Yeah, but. You know, the, the money is always in the biggest, craziest, strongest, heaviest it, fighters. It, it seems consistently, although not always so, but if you've got equal parts, heavyweight, middleweight, it'll be the heavyweights that will be the, 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 the main event yeah. and the middleweights or, or the lightweights or, or it mightn't be. Now, I, I, I can just imagine the comments now where people say, mm-hmm. yeah, but, you know, there's all these cards. But all things being equal, if you had a card lined up and the fights were otherwise even and the names were otherwise even, it would be the heavyweights. Mm-hmm. That would be the draw card yeah. and that where the, where the, the card is tilted towards mm-hmm. um, at the end of the night. Um, so um, MMA seems to have this under control, but it also seems to be as a result of 20 years mm. of, of evolution within the sport and uh, and also the professionalism that's come to the sport, particularly in the last seven or eight years, um, and the money that's now available in that sport so yeah. that they can adopt a, um, a USADA mm. a regime mm. that's, um, that, that's best in best in class, best in world, um, where there's no arguments. And, and so that, that regulatory environment uh, essentially ensures that there's huge penalties for those athletes that do transgress and uh, and don't conform with uh, with the protocols that mm. are in place. Uh, so gone are the days of the, the freakish Uberines and the Dan Severins, yeah. the Juicy Dan Severins <laughs> and the Juicy Ken Shamrocks yeah. and, and those guys. Um, and I'd say in the early days of the UFC, it probably wasn't much of a as much of an issue because you know you'd have a chemo against uh, a hoist gracie mm. and it was the david and goliath that's mm. what the fans were paying to see mm. was hoist gracie submit a chemo for instance mm. or or dan severin um and uh, you had uh, but as soon as you start getting weight classes and you've got uh, categories of fighters that are otherwise evenly matched then those things that do uh weight the balance in favour of uh, the, uh, another athlete mm-hmm. it really, really do become much more important. The degrees of separation become much greater very, very quickly mm-hmm. when you've got otherwise evenly matched athletes, even weight, one is juicy, 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 mm-hmm. and the other one not not, not on the supplements at yeah. all. Yeah, I'd say something that's more, a little bit controversial, but I think that the way it's headed is that 
all sports at some point will just give up on testing. Do you, do you think it's a part of that transhumanist kind of worldview yeah. where humans are now um, becoming more integrated with their environments, um, less insular, more um, integrating with uh, not just technology, but uh, with these um, other forms of technology in terms of chemical technology that's around. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that we're getting such a high level of sophistication around that, that it's almost becoming, what's the difference between this chemical that that may have this type of effect and mm-hmm. and another that has uh, another effect that's almost equal to mm-hmm. um and um and w- where do we draw the lines around yeah. those things and and as you say testing is often behind the technology that drives the athlete's improvement mm-hmm. um so where, where does that leave us so you yeah. you, you foresee a future where testing's just given up and yep. <laughs> athletes can get away with whatever it is that they might be doing i don't think it's that they get away. I think it's just that the culture would change to a point where it's like if you're if you're able to change your genes, like if your gene therapy, and say your like babies were being born in a in a way that uh, you know is being designed to be an athletic body. How do you how do you change that and make that fair? Oh, you can't compete. Well, why not? Mm. No, I'm a human. I didn't do this. I didn't make the choice. You know, because I'm seventy times stronger than the normal person. You know, and then it's like, but then you'd have. A, a new film uh, of sorry, a new um, area of people that that might also fit that mold, and it's like if you're not using these things, then it's like well, the the technology and the technological advances are going to be to the point where it's like well, you can't compete unless you are this anymore. It's like that Gattaca movie or book. Have you have you ever seen or heard of that? Um, basically, there, there was two classes of people: one that was genetically enhanced, and one that isn't. The genetically enhanced people are the ones who got all the good positions and were able to and be entrusted to do all the hard work and hard jobs and intelligent jobs and astrophysicists and astronauts and, and you, you and I got to do the other stuff. We were the street we sleepers and cleaners podcasters. and podcasters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so you know, the, the, all the the laborious jobs were sent to the people that were not genetically enhanced and then all the genetically enhanced people got to do all the fun stuff. The story of the movie being that one of the non-genetically enhanced guys wanted to be an astronaut and had to hide his non-enhancement stuff mm. and you know he had to do a lot of stuff to, to hide that. It was a, It's a good movie. But in terms of that is definitely the, the pathway that we're headed down mm. uh, of... And it, it is this part of the, the, the transgender movement at the moment where you've got uh, male athletes competing in uh, as trans uh, athletes mm. uh, or tra- transitioning, let's just say, uh, mm. athletes uh, who, who uh, were born biological men mm-hmm. who are uh, now competing in female competition. I mm-hmm. think that's factual enough that we can get away with that on yeah, YouTube. Absolutely. That's correct, isn't it? Yeah. It's inarguable. So the <laughs> born biological men yep. who choose then to uh, compete um, and, and are accepted uh, by the sporting bodies to mm-hmm. compete in uh, female competition mm-hmm. um, and they, with they a huge are, genetic advantage with a huge genetic advantage. Right. And so, so essentially, you're suggesting that if you want your child to be an athlete um, and you've got the opportunity to choose gene- genetics, then you'll probably get it born male. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, or, or with the attributes. I mean, have you heard of CRISPR before, or the uh, gene yes. manipulation therapy? So you can splice different um, elements out of um, certain DNA strands, uh, you know. 
the idea being hopefully that you would be uh, building people that are immune to certain diseases or you know but you can go down to what eye color they're going to be born what height are they going to be what gender are they going to be what you know what attributes this person's going to have you can choose that and but one of the crazy things about it is all the changes that you make are permanent to that person's bloodline so it is if you make that change and let's say eye color so you choose that this baby your your child will have blue eyes Every child that that person produces, whether they're male or female, that becomes the dominant gene. Yeah, is right. Then has blue eyes, no wow. matter what. No matter, yeah. So even which if, isn't the way that nature works. Of that's course. right. Yeah. Exactly. So you know, if, if I mean, there's there's good and bad things to that. If you want to eradicate disease, and you say, okay, well, you know, this person is immune to AIDS. Hmm. Now all of their offspring and all of their future offspring will be immune to AIDS. Fantastic. Mm. But it can be used negatively as well, yeah. you know. So there are good and bad things to that, mm. uh, and whether or not those things are already happening, I don't know. But yeah, um, <laughs> well, certain Quite things are with it without us knowing. Yeah. Um, so, um, uh, so we've got to, so, and in the bodybuilding world, mm. so uh, just over uh, recent times, we've we've had a, a disproportionate amount of deaths in the arm wrestling world, and um, people <laughs> attribute like that to bodybuilding world. Sorry, you said arm wrestling world, <laughs> the bodybuilding world. Am I predicting? <laughs> in the bodybuilding world. So in the bodybuilding world, yeah, the, uh, there's a disproportionate amount of deaths in the, in the mm. bodybuilding world uh, over, over recent times and people attribute that to, to many factors. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and, of course, a lot of people's attention turn to um, uh, steroid use mm-hmm. as well as um, other jabs that may have <laughs> other been had over time. That were other, forced upon other, them in other, the last couple of years. that they were required to have in order to travel. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and so this is causing um, uh, a lot of issues. And, and, and it's not unusual in the bodybuilding world for people to die younger than what they would otherwise mm-hmm. in the wild. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and without that, um, have we got some examples here, perhaps uh, Ronnie before and after? Yeah. <coughs> because there, it's interesting. Because um, uh, what I want to share with you is uh, Ronnie, Ronnie Coleman, um, peak Ronnie, and Ronnie now, and um, and Ronnie Coleman's um, not not um, the oldest guy in the world, but you, you can certainly see he uh, he went through quite the transformation. Even well, he's not looking too bad now. Um, yeah, he, he's, he's had a lot of surgeries. He's really been struggling. I don't understand his, um, his back. But, I mean, he put his, his body under an enormous amount of strain there mm. and uh, was quite debilitated for quite some time mm. and is now just uh, working working his way back to uh, to the level of fitness where he can he's mobile and can get around uh, once more. Mm. Um, but it's been quite the, quite the long recovery. And, and um, you know, it's... Uh, uh, no doubt, as a result of his um, uh, long-term weight training, ex- yeah. very, yeah. very heavy <coughs> weight training, and the stress and the duress that he's placed on his body and his nervous system over over a long, long, long period of time. Yeah, I think the, the, one of the the big things with with bodybuilding is obviously the the performance enhancing drugs that that are being used are detrimental to the body. If they're used in large doses, the largest doses that some of these guys are using, uh, and it's not just that they're using testosterone. You know, there's so many different elements combined. They've almost got to be a chemist, don't they? That's right. Mm. And and to try to find this homogenous balance of this counteracts this to counteract that to this and that, uh, and 
your body and your liver and your kidneys and your heart are working overtime 24-7 to try to filter this stuff out. And that's why you'll see, well, at the... Can we have a look at David Palumbo uh, just for a moment? (laughs) Sure. Uh, So David David Palumbo is a a really good example of somebody who was an elite bodybuilder who um, uh, his his physicality over the years has changed quite... Uh, it's the first thing that comes up is plumbalism, uh, and uh, and you can kind of see what happened with David here uh, uh, was that he had a distended belly. Yeah. Um, uh, seemingly, the first thing that happens is that the the midriff gets wider and wider, the uh, the arms get smaller and smaller, um, and that the, the uh, mass is harder to retain on the on, on the thighs and on the legs, and mm. you see it, it almost looks like. Uh, the uh, the athletes melting mm. um, and uh, and and I don't think Dave's been quite uh, quite open with his use and mm. um, and uh, and holds some uh, some firm views around that but uh, there's no doubt towards the the end of his competing career that uh, uh, he, w- he he was no longer um, uh, the greatest exponent of a balanced physique. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so that was one of the things. Maybe, maybe the last ten years that that sort of gut, I guess, if you you know the GH gut. Yeah, the bubble gut. Yeah, the bubble gut. Um, so that that generally, I think most people would say is a result of ex- extreme growth hormone use, uh, but it could also be a. a, a number of different factors you know the amount of food that's being uh, eaten um you know but in theory it, growth hormone that which is being used and i guess in a way abused by people that are in, in, at this level it grows everything in your body not just your muscles so mm. you know your jaws get bigger your bones get bigger your organs get bigger mm. there was a bodybuilder that died uh, maybe three or four years ago now dallas macabre young guy yeah. was only 26 maybe 25 young 26 guy. um heart attack uh which there was a little confusion about how he actually died because he had food in his throat at the time um i think it has come down to with the autopsy results that he had a heart attack while he just happened to have food in his mouth at that time so the food was kind of in a way unrelated to the death but yeah, um, I remember uh, there's, there's a YouTube video uh, one of the doc- uh, is a doctor um, who's going through the auto- autopsy results and he's reading out the size of the organs from Dallas McCarver he's only 26 years old and his organs were like three times the size that they should have been heart wow. three times the size liver three times the size wow. like it was just everything was humongous and it's like well you know that's why your heart just couldn't keep up and plus you've got you've tripled your muscle mass and you're doing crazy hard workouts you're eating a heap of food you're taking all these different uh you know performance enhancing things it's like well that's probably the end result of that is mm. it your heart that is working overtime and not only with that but you're going to have the arteries the the blockages the difficulty your body's always trying to filter it's always working overtime mm. working 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 plus the extreme workouts you know the the dieting the diuretics the you know the 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 extreme dehydration, dehydration. yeah, mm. the tan <laughs> <laughs> the tanning lotion that's right yeah um, yeah so that combined leads to stress on the major functioning parts of your body, the heart, the liver, the kidneys. And you always see, I remember I sent you that list throughout the week, of yes. in the last two years, and yeah. I think there was, what, maybe 30 bodybuilders, 30. 35 or something, yeah. and the first 15, heart attack. 
Heart attack. And then it was like heart attacks. And then 15 in a row. And then it was like liver cancer, <laughs> liver cancer, liver cancer, kidney disease, kidney disease, kidney disease. And it was like, well, there you go. Those are those three major filtering organs. And yep. then the heart obviously is pushing blood around the, the body. And it's under pressure to do that uh, in extreme circumstances. And, you know, it, it can't handle it. No. That's can't. what happens. Um, would you mind just bringing up for me uh, Jay Cutler, uh, then and now, perhaps? Now, Jay Cutler, and the reason why I want to bring this up is because Jay Cutler still looks great. I mean, Jay Cutler uh, stopped actively competing uh, maybe seven or eight years ago now, um, and um, and Jay Cutler still looks really substantial. Uh, he's uh, walking around around 125, 130 kilos. Mm-hmm. Uh, looks looks amazing. Yeah. Um, he, uh, you know, he, he actually only ever looks like he's ten weeks away from competition, <laughs> uh, even today. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, the, he's uh, he's seemingly being able to uh, find a, a balance. Um, uh, and that picture's from 2018, but that's not altogether different to um, uh, what he looks like right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, there's, relatively speaking, Jay would be mid to late 40s now, I would guess. Yeah, I so, um, yeah. you know, and he's been able to, he, he's still maintaining the bodybuilder lifestyle. Uh, he's still training hard, training heavy. He's not changed a lot in his lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, you know, uh, uh, whether or not he's uh, still partaking in the supplementation, obviously you can see there's some pretty dramatic changes there in the leg sizes mm-hmm. and uh, uh, obviously his proportions have, uh, uh, have come down somewhat, but he's still retaining a lot of muscle mass mm-hmm. and still looking really good and yeah. strong and uh, still in, obviously enjoying the gym and, uh, and keeping in, in really good shape. Actually, I think that that's a, quite a, uh, a good look uh, there. That's kind of representative of what uh, Jay Cutler's kind of looking like now, mm-hmm. uh, which is still amazing. Yeah. You know, he, he actually looks, I mean, he looks fantastic. He's in, he, uh, looks like a superhero even even right now. So he's yeah. obviously keeping good shape, uh, looking after himself, and um, uh, still maintaining uh, a good muscle mass um, into his late forties. Yeah, there is there is that um, genetic element to supplementation as well. Mm. Some people are going to respond really well, and they're not going to have major um, heart issues or, or liver issues. Like it's just their body just seems to get through it without you know um having major major dramas some people just like dallas mccarver i mean 26 years old yeah you know and and it's sort of you don't know what's going to happen no and and jay obviously you know still being able to continue a a good lifestyle and um you know looking great and and training and feeling fit and healthy um the, the, the issue is like has he done damage to his body that is irreparable and maybe you know when he maybe. gets to 60 he might at that point is where but i'm a hope i mean hope like that that, that doesn't happen hopefully he has a long healthy life but mm. uh you are rolling the dice because you don't know what's going to happen mm. when you when you're and it seems to be the deaths is quite a sudden death for bodybuilders. It's not a slow death. It's mm-hmm. uh, things seem to be going great. They look amazing, and bang, yeah. um, the heart gives out, the liver fails, and um, uh, yeah, it, it, it's so. Um, so let's say question mark over, over <laughs> how Jay would go, but Jay's looking great and still yeah. still maintaining a lifestyle, and um, and obviously still in the gym actively, and and and. Um, uh, and enjoying himself. Um, Have you at, seen the London Real 
uh, interview with Dorian Yates. I was going to so yeah, if just finally, I wanted to turn people's attention to uh, the great man Dorian Yates yeah. and just uh, his physical transformation over recent times. And mm-hmm. I think um, you, they say you know that the body is a is a great representative of what's going on in the mind. And for for Dorian, Dorian's really been on the journey over recent times, a personal development journey as much as anything. And mm. uh, Dorian was, um, you know, very definitely uh, amongst the first of the mass monsters after Lee Haney um, you had uh, Dorian uh, take the O-Crown and uh, own it for the, the best part of the next decade. And uh, he uh, certainly pushed bodybuilding to a whole new level mm-hmm. uh, until it took a super freak like um, like the juiciest of um, <laughs> of Ronnie Coleman's yeah. uh, to, um, to to usurp him. But uh, now, um, what's interesting is that we've we've got uh, say a couple of the great uh, bodybuilders of all time in Dorian Yates and Arnold Schwarzenegger that are, are now uh, entering the autumn of their years. Mm. And Dorian, Dorian Yates is certainly a lot younger, uh, is now in his uh, mid to late 50s. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Dorian has downsized quite considerably, mm-hmm. still still training quite actively, uh, still training others in, in his uh, very specific uh, methodology when it comes to training, very low reps, high uh, high high uh, weight uh, training, um, so he, he's still keeping with that. But in in his own world, a lot of yoga, a lot of flexibility training, uh, is now very open with respect to his um, use of mm-hmm. supplementation and, mm-hmm. and steroids, and uh, and is suggesting to people, you know, this is uh, uh, this is not healthy long term. This mm-hmm. is maybe what you got to do if that's what you want to be great at. But yeah. if you not going to be the greatest bodybuilder of all time or you're not a chance of being the greatest bodybuilder of all time, his suggestion is to uh, maybe reconsider yeah. to the extent that you're going to partake in, mm-hmm. in the, these substances and mm-hmm. redirect your energies in other areas of your life where you know the, there's a certainly more uh, benefit on the back end. Yeah. Um, and, and Dorian's uh, certainly uh, been... Very loud and proud on that subject mm. o- over recent times since that London Real interview. It's uh, kind of shot him and catapulted him back into yeah. the public's consciousness. And yeah. uh, he, he's continued to uh, to spread the word in, in, with respect to that. Absolutely. Yeah, really intelligent guy. And that, that interview, he was also on Joe Rogan's podcast as well. Mm. And it's a lot of people would not have that same mindset. And I really respect him because he he retired. And, you know, obviously one of the biggest bodybuilders ever. Humongous. Mm. And he he said for the first couple of months after he'd retired, he still kept training as hard as he was. He was still trying to keep that size. And then one day he was just like, why am I doing this? Like, am I trying to keep this huge gargantuan body just to impress people, like mm. impress strangers that I don't know and I don't care about? Yeah. And it's like, why am I doing that? I, I should be doing what I want to do for myself. And so he was like, I don't want to have this ridiculous size anymore. I still want to train. I want to be fit and healthy. And he is. He's probably about 100 kilos. Yeah. Trains regularly. Um, does Strong guy. Yeah. Does you know the, the fun stuff he likes to do. Yeah. But he's like, I don't need to worry about... If some, he goes, if somebody meets me and they're like, oh, disappointed because I'm not Mr. Olympia. Like, I don't look like I did when they saw me on Mr. Olympia in 1990 <laughs> or whatever. Uh, and it's like, you know, he goes, I don't care about their opinion of me because I don't know who they are. He goes, the people around me that I love and care about the most, their opinion matters to me. And they don't care about that. They just want me to be happy and, and be able to go and 
enjoy myself. And he's like, I spent, you know, 20 plus years living in a dungeon, basically, <laughs> like, you know, training was my life and I was so restricted and every moment so of every day yeah. was was dedicated to being Mr. Olympia. And now I've done that. I don't want that pressure anymore and I want to enjoy the time that I've got with friends and family and, and not have to live up to other people's expectations. Mm. I've seen that a lot um, working in the security industry when I was involved in that, that there were so many people that, you know, they, they just felt like I've got to, I've got to be perceived as this really big, strong guy at all times. And, yeah. and it's like that was everything to them. And it was like, but the people that would make comments to them or say, oh, man, why are you looking huge? Oh, no one want to mess with you. They don't even know who that is. Yeah. They've never seen that guy and they'll probably never see that guy again. Yeah. And it's like, you know, to, to get that self-worth from mm. strangers' comments is is a very dangerous game to play. It is, and and dysmorphia. I mean, dysmorphia—that's that, exactly what we're talking about here. It's a, it's a sense that you've got to be bigger and stronger, or or, or that you're not uh, happy with yourself, regardless of how big and strong you, mm-hmm. you might be. So, regardless of how many compliments, each compliment is just fueled to get bigger. Yeah. Um, and um, the, the the one of the major dilemmas um, for for a lot of uh, those people is that. Um, it's a psychological problem mm-hmm. first and foremost, and in, in, in that uh, it's not because they're trying to be the best in the sport. It's normally because there is a another issue underlying there for for the the, the individual um, yeah. that hasn't been addressed, and uh, their answer might be um, you know getting juicy and going to the gym, um, yeah. and and uh, and and it is a sad thing, but it's also because adults don't get a lot of positive affirmation a lot, a lot of confirmation that they're doing the right thing or yeah. the good thing if you're a child and you do something remarkable or good or um then you get a pat on the back you know you get told you're you're on the right track and mm-hmm. this is a good thing for you and there's a there's something within us that 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 harbors that need for the that type of uh, confirmation and mm-hmm. affirmation that you're heading in the right direction mm-hmm. and sometimes that comes from when somebody does a little bit of something like in the gym and gets some results and somebody notices and it's just that first comment. It could be from a friend or a girlfriend or a family member. So, oh, you're, you're looking a bit, oh, look, your veins are sticking out a bit. Yeah. And then that can be, that can be the stuff. That's the first thing. Yeah, and they yeah. haven't had a compliment uh, for, for months, yeah. maybe, maybe years. Yeah. And then they get that first little, oh, maybe I'm doing something right now. Yeah, somebody, yeah. somebody noticed, somebody complimented me. And uh, and then so the next thing you know they're back in the gym for a little bit longer and then they're you know they're getting the tighter t-shirts to maybe get some <laughs> more of those compliments and you know that type of positive attention it starts off as positive attention yeah yeah and then uh, can quickly go the other way as um, you know of course you know so th- th- there's uh, so much um, that's going on psychologically and for so many people but I guess uh, you know our, our suggestion and and Dorian Yates's suggestion to people that unless you're going to be an elite um, an elite bodybuilding athlete, then you you really want to consider your relationship with those performance enhancing mm. agents, mm. Um, as the long term effects are overwhelmingly not positive. Yeah, yeah, um, that's the thing with with that self confidence. If if you're doing an activity that you enjoy, and first and foremost, it has to be that you're doing it for yourself and you're doing it for your own enjoyment, your own benefit. Mm. If if that is like the ninety nine percent of why you're doing that certain activity and then like people say to you oh you're doing really well whatever it is whether it's you know 
physical training or whether it's um, a certain project you're working on or, or a company that you're working on or whatever and somebody says, oh, you're doing really well with that. You know, it's nice to get those. It's like, oh, I really appreciate your comment and it makes you feel good and that, that that's mm. a nice thing. Mm. But it's not – if you didn't get that comment – you were going to be doing that thing anyway. Yeah. And it's like that reward that you get by doing whatever it is, is the driving force. And those little comments that come in, whether they're positive or negative, yeah. uh, they are, if it's positive, hey, that's nice. I like to hear that. If it's negative, it's like, well, I don't care what you say because I'm going to be doing it regardless. Yeah. And if you're doing it that way, no matter what it is, that's where you'll find your happiness and success. Uh, as long as it doesn't become an obsession, but if the people that are doing certain things just to get appreciation from others, especially mm. if they're strangers, mm. it's like, well, it's going to end badly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 so, I mean, you've you've been training for twenty years. You've been training in the gym. You, you've been much bigger than what you are now. Mm. You were weighing ninety one, ninety two yeah. kilos. I heard earlier in the week yeah. on the on the podcast, yeah. the, the Deep End on Ryan Bowen, That's Ryan right. Blue Bowen's channel. Yeah. Uh, so um, head over there <laughs> and check that one out. Make sure you subscribe to receive alerts for when that podcast is released, uh, which is um, every Friday, I believe, now. We've uh, got it on a Friday schedule. Uh, it's on a su- Sunday morning, uh, 7 a.m. Adelaide time, which is 7.30 uh, a.m. Brisbane time, and I don't know what it is for the rest of the world. But <laughs> I, I think in, the, in, in uh, the big markets of the world, that makes it Saturday night. It is. So Saturday night entertainment for you. If you're watching and you're in America right now, you tune in to Ryan Blue, Blue Bowen's channel, see more of this man. But you, 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 were, you were substantially larger than what you are yep. uh, today, and uh, 91 kilos. What, how heavy were you at your, your, your biggest? 120. 120 yeah, kilos. Yeah. And, and you're 6'2", yep. 6'2"-ish. And uh, so um, how did you – what made you downsize? Uh, I, I went into a competition. A bodybuilding competition? Yeah, yeah. so yep. um, I was working security and, and that extra size was definitely a positive factor. <laughs> Insecurity? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Just, just as a, a deterrent? Not just that, but um, <laughs> there was a, it was physical physical incidents every night. <laughs> and it was uh, a, a very handy tool to be able to just, like I'm not a trained fighter, um, but mm. I can grab someone and throw them on the ground. <laughs> And when you're 120 kilos, <laughs> it's a lot easier to do it that way yeah. when you're 90 <laughs> kilos. Yep. So that's what I'd have to do. Yeah. Um, so so would, you were big because it was practical. Yeah. And and and, and well, your your income depended on it, and uh, that's that was a you know a reason to stay large. Did you feel uncomfortable when you were 120 yes. kilos? And and was there what was the downside to being 120 kilos? Uh, I was happy. I mean, I've always been a bodybuilding fan. And Schwarzenegger's my idol and I, you know, was was training super hard and I was really happy to be getting this result. Um, But it wasn't like a good 120. It wasn't like a super lean, you know, 10%. It wasn't an uber lean 120. No. There was was some – I mean, it wasn't out, like, completely out. I was training every day. But um, it wasn't lean muscle, the whole thing. It was some body fat there. Um, But I was strong – not heaps stronger than I am now, but stronger – uh, so you haven't lost a lot of strength now that you're 30 kilos lighter. No, not really. And probably in the specificity of, say, a sport like arm wrestling that you're training in, much stronger, I'd imagine. Yeah, I'm, mm. uh, it's probably in the heavier lifts, like uh, the compound stuff, like the the 
you know, deadlifts or bench press or stuff where it helps where you've got more fluid around the joint, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, biceps be a lot stronger now. Um, and, yeah, bicep, tricep, the smaller muscle groups, the individual sort of things, either on par or stronger now. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, uncomfortable being that heavy, you know. I remember I would, I would sit and be watching <coughs> a movie, two-hour movie, and I'd get a stitch. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And I'd be like, man, well, just sitting was like, you know, was hard work. And it was like just everyday tasks, like getting in and out of the car. And you know, it's like you got to, right, here we go, out the car, yep. Yeah. And then in the car, uh, squash yourself in, yep. You know, and because everything is tight and, you know, trying to find clothes that fit you and, yeah. um, uh, yeah, it was everything was was more difficult. Putting your shoes on, and it's not that 120 is ridiculously big. No. That it's you know that's I mean it's it's large, but it's not humongous. It's it's reasonably big. But it's the size when you get too big for um, stuff that's made for normal people. Yeah, like like cars. Yeah. And, and chairs. Yes, and uh, <laughs> furnishings, clothes. Yeah. Um, it's not made for muscular. Right. 120 kilo frames. Exactly. Yeah. So, but I was uh, 116. So I was about 120 for a while and I sort of fluctuated around that, you know. And I remember I was 116 and I dieted down for a, for a competition and I dieted down to 93. Okay. Uh, and then so up, closer to your existing weight. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then after the competition, this is kind of funny, but like on the day of the competition, I was 93, like in the morning. That night, I was 101. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just from eating <laughs> and rehydrating. <laughs> 101. Um, and, uh, yeah, I stuck around that. And I felt a lot better in terms of more athletic around 101, 102. So that became the new locus of control for you around the 100. Yeah. Mark. Yeah. So I sort of sat around that mark for the next well, probably seven years or something. And yep. it's only been the last two years that I've dropped from 102 down to 90, 92. And that's, I literally haven't changed anything at all. Like, I don't right. know. It's, um, is the, it age? Is it no, uh, no. conditioning? It, is it, what, what is it? Probably the job I'm doing now where, um, it's it's standing the entire shift. Right. <laughs> That's about the only difference. I still train the same. I eat the same. Everything's the same. Yeah. But it's like ten kilo difference from standing compared to there was there was still some walking and and physical activity in the jobs I've been doing in the past, but it wasn't eight hours standing straight. And and do you do you feel optimal now? Do you feel like this is a, a really comfortable, easy weight for you to maintain? You feel good. Do you feel like you look good? Um, yeah, I feel, I mean, I feel good. I feel strong. I feel athletic. There is that mental side of it when you're like, you're like when you, when you're bigger and you have that, you feel strong and you feel like, yeah, I could, you know, I feel really powerful. Yeah. That element is, is not as prevalent. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I guess it's for the so same. So is that a moderation of the ego that's then required, or is yeah. it, what, what's going? Is it more your internal talk? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, the good thing is, like, I don't really care anymore. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean, I, like, it, and do you think that's age a little bit as well? Like, you, you when you started your, your bodybuilding journey, it would have been for very different reasons to what mm. you're training for oh, now. Yeah. Absolutely, and we're twenty years in, and, uh, and and I'm guessing, I mean, from what you tell me, you, you're training really rigorously. Like, yeah. there's no no uh, drop in intensity. Yeah. 
yeah. um, you, you're training very similar weights. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so so that that hasn't necessarily changed, but maybe the thinking or the motivation behind yeah. why you're training in the first place is exactly a yeah. lot different. Oh yeah, I mean, as I, I mentioned this once before on the very one of the early episodes, I was bullied at school, and uh, that was a, a big motivation and remained a big motivation for me for a long time, maybe. 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe till yesterday. Yeah. Uh, Maybe even today. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was very much a, not an insecurity, but just like a, I don't ever want that to happen to me again. Yeah. So, and I'm never going to let people treat me like that. Yeah. And so, but to be able to do that and prevent people from doing that, I would like. Well, I will. There get, is something you can do. Yeah, and yeah. I'll get ridiculously big and strong. Yeah, and then it's like that. far less of a chance of going on. Then yeah. yeah, but it wasn't. It wasn't just for that purpose. It was. It was a big driving factor, but also having the interest in the sport and you know wanting and you know my idol, as I said, Schwarzenegger, and wanting that and loving that culture and. Mm. You know, that, that, that the people that I was surrounded by are also into that as well. And as you've said uh, previously, you know, you are the sum average of the five people you spend the most time with. Mm. The most uh, people that I was spending most time with were all doing the same thing, training in the gym, love bodybuilding. We all talked about, uh, you know, heroes, Jordan Yates and who was going to win the Olympia and who was yeah. this and, and you will know. Victor Richardson ever compete? Yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, you know the 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 movies, the the action movies, and yeah. all that sort of thing was a big influence on all of us. And we're all training at the same gym, and you know, there, and we're, you know, fighting together. And it, it kind of makes you wonder because the nineteen eighties really did kind of demonstrate. It, 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 there's a couple of things that are going on. Did you have a strong uh, male influence in your your life in your upbringing? Mm. Yeah, I mean, my, my, my dad was there, but he wasn't into fitness or anything. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, that maybe, I mean, like you said, the 80s movies. And yeah, the 80s movies. Yeah, yeah. The, the reason I ask is because, like, there's, you know, we got to the 1970s, 1980s, and we had a whole generation of men that were being raised by women mm. and not, not uh, and, and where the, uh, the masculine was being diminished somewhat in the eyes of society. And uh, and so you, you had a lot of men that all of a sudden didn't have those strong male role models around them in the same way they might have done in generations past. And mm. so we're, we're finding uh, examples yeah. on the silver screen. And that, whether that was Jean-Claude Van Damme yeah. or uh, Sylvester Stallone, but it yeah. was always the, the small guy beating the big guy. It yeah. was almost like the you know the fighting against the odds, the, the guy that was being bullied and was able to turn the tables yeah. or, or whatever it might be, or the underdog rising to to beat against the odds uh, everybody else and that was the theme of most action films in the 90s it just happened to be a particularly muscular man on the movie poster but that was that was the overarching uh, archetypal story of many uh, action films in the 1980s and 90s Mm, which is a genre that's very much fallen away today (laughs) you you don't see those movies any longer except for maybe nostalgia's sake but you don't you don't see them as the 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 prevalent uh narrative that's being shared within our society in 2022 i remember watching i've I've seen blood sport probably (laughs) more than any movie i've ever watched (laughs) that's the you know jean claude movie but uh that (laughs) 
was been such an. I remember watching that and then just going and just like going and doing push ups. You know, <laughs> like you push ups. You know, ten, ten years old. It was like oh, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to try and do something. You know, yeah, yeah. I want to look like that guy. Yeah, yeah. so it's such a hero aspect. Uh, so yeah, it was a big influence, absolutely. And then yeah, training in the gym. And, and but at this point, um, yeah, it, it is that maturity of same with Dorian Yates. It's like, well, who am I doing this for? You know, yeah. I don't need to impress people. Um, I I enjoy training and I love it. That's why I still do it. Yeah, but I'm doing it for a different reason. I'm doing it because I enjoy it and I and I want to build a, a strong body and feel fit and healthy and and look good. Yeah, but um, I'm not there to go. Oh, I need everyone's approval and I need everyone to say, "Oh, you're looking amazing," and da, da, mm. because it's like um, that element is not there anymore. And I think, it, especially in the last probably the last year I've had this feeling of like different motivation and it's strange it's mm. a strange feeling because it's like normally when I'm going to lift something heavier I'm going to do a really hard set I would envision something you're that really makes in. me quite angry yeah right you'll tune into the anger or the negative emotion yeah yeah and that will push me through because I will think of that whatever it is mm. <laughs> almost went to the wrong direction then <laughs> almost revealed something I shouldn't um, uh, but that in the last year is not a it's that motivation's like it's dissipated it's gone and yeah. now it's like I try to bring that back and it's just not there it, it, it's a it's an experience in um, a, a neurolinguistic programming mm. as well and it's, it's a, it's a, it's a um, psychologically um, and, and um, what you find uh, a hypnotist will use a similar technique, and and that's where you'll you'll take a negative experience re, and, and replay it in your mind. And mm. as you do, you might replay it as being black and white, and mm-hmm. then you replay it as, without any sound, and then you replay it on a smaller screen in your mind, and then it's smaller and smaller and smaller until it's a dot and it's it, and it's gone completely. But when you're trying to derive motivation from it, you want you want all of the emotion you want yeah. all of that to rage and burn within oh, yeah. to to be able to garner everything that you need <laughs> from that to be able to expend it in the moment that's right uh to get the the result that you want and yeah. uh um it, but uh, perhaps now that that that's not that same need any longer and you've been able to replay it in your mind and reconcile yourself to whatever it was mm. and to to move uh, beyond that psychologically yeah um, I, don't, I don't think it's that i've i don't i could completely get that but that for me i don't think is the reason i think it's that what, what, I'm, do you, what do you feel it is i think it's i'm doing stuff in my life now that i really enjoy yeah as opposed and none to of, and none of whatever was happening can now hold you back yeah and it's like when a lot of happiness in other activities uh that are you know you're having a great time like do, say doing the podcast love it great awesome mm. um i'm wrestling love it great a family you know, wife, got kids, got this, these things, investments are going well. And it's like all these happy elements are coming together. And it's like you're trying to get rage. <laughs> Why would you get that rage? It's mm. not as strong <laughs> there anymore. And it's like, but when. So you do know, you in need previous, the rage anymore? Do you that, that's, need what I'm, that's what I'm thinking. And it's like it's. Has it served it's a purpose? foreign purpose to well yeah it's a foreign feeling for me now because i've used that for so long and it's been such a useful tool that anytime something external is going wrong or is difficult i can get in the gym and destroy mm. that workout like yep. 
trained like a psychopath, <laughs> you know, and and like pushed myself beyond the limits, uh, you know, and by using that frustration or whatever, and that's the way I can deal with it. Mm. That frustration isn't there, which is a good thing, it, but that's why it's like, but I can't. There isn't that anger mm. there. It's mm. weird. It, I mean, it's good. And I don't need it anymore. But I still want that feel. It's a different... Yeah, now I've got to figure out another way to... Well, people seem to fall into one or two categories. They're either toward-motivated people or away-motivated people. Some mm. people are motivated away from pain and some people are, are motivated toward good things. Mm. Um, and rarely are they the, the same type. So some people are, are doing what they're doing to keep themselves away from pain mm. and uh, and that, that becomes the familiar. Um, but there is a transitioning point because you can't live your life like that. Um, there's, a, there's diminishing returns associated like that, like with Uber. <laughs> there's diminishing returns. <laughs> <laughs> you can only take so much, yeah, yeah. and then at some point on the other side of that, it, it fades away, and uh, so uh, it, it's a it's a it's an inter- it's an interesting phenomenon uh, where people find their motivation from, and 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 how that relates to their own self esteem, and then how that translates into their physicality and uh, their other endeavors. And, mm. uh, uh, it's just weird, man. Like I don't know if that for me, like every time I'm about to do something really difficult in the gym. It's like, bang, I can switch. Here we go. All right, there's that power. There's that anger. There's that strength. And Ready. it's like, where we go. And then we go and you get the set done. And then it's like, all right, and then you're happy again. Cool, everything. You talk to somebody. All right, I got to do another set. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> but now it's like I try to get that switch and it's like, you can't. It's not there. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, oh. Um. Have, have you tried screaming out, yeah, buddy, and, and, and nothing but a peanut? Nothing but a peanut. Yeah. If you, if you do that three times, I, I believe you'll rekindle ah. whatever it yeah. is that you're needing to be able to push through that set. Yeah. But I've talked about this with no, a lot of people. No, yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> because, like, I've been training with a lot of different people recently, which has been great. I love to tra- do, I love do, training. Do those partners know about this? Well, this is what I'm talking to them about. Oh, okay. Yeah. Multiple partners, multiple training partners. Yeah. They all know about each other. They're all cool with that. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I I saw you training with him. Yeah. (laughs) How dare you? I had a training partner once. I thought I was special. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we were supposed to train biceps. You were training. Yeah. You were training back with him. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Tuesdays we trained back. Yeah. Uh, um, No, it's been really a lot of fun because – the people I've been training with recently have been people that are reasonably new to training. Mm. And it's like, um, because I, I train in the morning after I finish, I finish at 6am. So it's like yeah. my friends that I normally train with are like, I'm not coming to train with you at 6am. <laughs> so I've been training by myself. New friends. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Well, that's what I've done. Um, but the people that I talk to throughout, you know, the shift that they come into the gym and they might ask, you know, you talk to people and have conversations and you might be talking about training and it's like, well, do you want me to just show you something? And it's like, oh, yeah. And then I'm like, well, I finish in 10 minutes. You know, do you want to just do a session? And it's like, okay, cool. And yeah. And we'll run through a session. And then maybe the next time it's like, oh, well, you know, if you've got the day off, come in. I'm going to be training anyway. If you want to join me, then great. And, you know, you've got maybe five or six different people that I've run through and they're at different levels, and it's like I don't care what level they're at. Like you know, it's fun to train with somebody else, and yeah, um, yeah, I get to like I enjoy teaching, sharing, and showing what you know. exactly. Yeah. Um, but I do talk to them about what are you picturing, like in a set, because I my rep ranges are high, mm. deliberately, <laughs> because I want that. Uh, you want the pain, yeah, <laughs> yeah I do. <laughs> I want it to be 
really difficult. Yeah. And it's like, I want it to start hurting at like rep number 10. Yeah. Like I want it to be hurting at 10 yeah. and I'm going to 25. Yeah. So 20 to 25 is like you are seeing white and you're about to faint. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but to get through that, you got to have a strong reason. You've got to have a strong motivation. You've got to have something that you are like, because your body is saying to you, don't quit, give mm. up. I can't do this. It's mm. not going to happen. I've got nothing left. And there's one little voice going, oh, man, just maybe you've done 20, you know, yeah. just give up. That's that's good that's enough. Yeah. But then you've got to no have the other side. That's, no one's counting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's like, but the other side of is like, I'm going to get it no matter what you say, no matter how much you hurt, I'm going to get this. And that motivation, you know, is what's pushing me through. And I usually will couple that with an aggressive thought of some previous trauma, I guess. Yeah. So it's like, you know, that is a, a, a extra factor that will push me further. Yeah. But that part of it is going away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but when I talk to and other people... And you're not people, too sure about whether that's it's a good weird. thing. It's, it's a bit of a weird thing. I, yeah. It's, yeah. It's good. I know it's good because good things are happening. Yeah. And it's like, well, if you're happy with outside factors, you don't need that rage anymore. But it's like, but I yeah. like that rage. I like the rage. <laughs> I've I used the rage. it so it well for so yeah. long. Been trying to and think what will of, replace the rage? What replaces the rage in those moments where you can't access it any longer? Yeah, well, that's it's it's still just the, the just happy thoughts. No, that's where the challenge of the other voice in your mind saying give up, and it's like no, I'm so going to get. So, is there it now no more what. strength in your mind to resist the moments of weakness and the uh, where you you would you would have given up if you didn't have this this intense anger or mm. energy or negative emotion mm. that was pushing you through mm. and you're now able to find an, uh, within yourself the energy that you need outside of that is that yeah and that's now supplanting it, the, it's coupled uh, it's, it's it's a coupled together side of of things you've got the that the anger and that rage that adds to the strength of refusing to quit mm. that goes hand in hand and it and it makes itself stronger mm. Without that rage, it's still it's I can still push to the level and mm. I still succeed. And regardless, like I don't, it doesn't have to be there for me to get what I want to get out yeah. of to succeed in in the reps. But I do will have this feeling like, but if I go to that point where it's like I have envisioned something and it has pushed me into a really frustrated mindset, uh, and I'm over, I'm using that fuel in a set. It can push me way past where I was gonna go. <laughs> way past. Say I was doing I was going for twenty five and but I've gone furious yeah. and it's like I'm gonna do a hundred. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> because it's like I've got that extra I've just that hit me so hard and I'm now it's like, no, nah, I don't care. Like, ooh, Oh, you were going to stop at twenty five. Guess what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna triple. I'm gonna, you know, quadruple that. So, wow. and then it's like, then you push to that, and then it's like, there, there you go. And that's, I don't know, that's that side of it is missing. Yeah, which is, but but it's painful to do it. it it's it's not painful as in the physicality of the the set, but that it's mentally like you went real deep, painfully, like like you went into a real painful memory. And that's where you got that result from. Like that, you used that, but you felt that pain to get that result and you felt it. So you 
relived trauma to get a result. Mm. So it <laughs> it can be <laughs> positive as in you got a massive result. Yeah. But it's negative as in you went and relived trauma together. Is it negative if you're reliant? You know, I find if you're heavily reliant on anything, whether it's a substance or whether it's a, an emotion or whatever, they're driving. For, if you're reliant on anything, it can be, you know, apart from oxygen and food, it's <laughs> water, it can be a bad thing. Right. And, um, and so is it, yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like now you're able to, uh, to access something within yourself that, um, is somehow replacing what you previously needed mm. in order to be able to perform physically at your best. Yeah. Happy days ahead, perhaps. Oh, that's weird. Either that or you're going to get very, very weak and, um, <laughs> and and eventually you'll just... It's all over. You'll be 72 kilos so, yeah, in four weeks' drop, time. Drop. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Don't, um, do you not get that? Like, this is this is my question to people. Yeah. When I train with them, I'm like, what are you thinking of when you... when you? And it's funny because one of the girls um, doesn't... Like, for me, it's very intense. It's it's fire it's red it's anger it's fury it's rage that's me that's my thoughts but and then like <laughs> shout out to, to Paige here but um <laughs> so when i talked to her and i said what are you thinking of when you're trying to get to 25 and it starts hurting at say 10 12 you know what gets you through to 25 and she's like i'm not thinking of anything <laughs> <laughs> just doing it she's like i'm just in like a happy place like just the reps counting through and I'm like are you not like I know you're struggling I can see you're struggling isn't there like a thought of no not really (laughs) that is so foreign to me I'm like no it needs to be like the way I'm doing it like I I don't get it like that's that's such the opposite to me yeah yeah I mean it's it's probably uh, been quite therapeutic uh, in in a lot of ways for Mm. you Um, you know so uh, I mean training is a great uh, way of um, whenever you're pushing yourself against your your uh, your limitations you know it's a you find new new uh, new pieces of yourself on the on the on the other side of that and uh, uh, but it's um yeah, I, I, I mean, I can't think of. I'm not if I if I'm training heavily or I have done in the past. I, I can't think I'm accessing any particular negative emotion to. You're about to lift something real heavy. Yeah, right. You're under, say, the bench press. Mm-hmm. You got, let's say, 200 kilos on there. 200 kilos. You're about to lift that. That's a heavy, heavy as hell weight. What are you thinking before you pick up that weight? Uh, I hope I don't hurt myself. Is that it? Yeah. Well, what I'm, what I'm th- well, back in the days when I could bench press two hundred kilos, uh, the first thing I'd be thinking of is the is the weight on the outside of my thumbs. Uh, that's the first thing I'd be thinking of right. because if I could feel that that was bruising, I'd know that that was it, that I wasn't going to be able to push the weight up because if I could carry it on on the meat of my uh, thumb, then there was no way that that was I was going to get through the first rep. So, and sometimes you just hit a little nerve or something like that, the weight would have to go back up so the first thing would be pushing it off mm. holding it feeling it and if i felt comfortable with the weight in my hands uh then i'd be drawing it back now there's no pain associated on the negative and so i'd be controlling the negative and as much as i can and then there's that uh, explosion uh from from the chest mm. um and the first thing i'm thinking about doing is activation of, of my triceps uh and then activation of the chest because i from from my end always <laughs> felt like it was it was pushing from the 
bottom. And uh, and so I'm, I'm actually trying to feel inside the muscle to make sure that the, the muscle and the tendons and everything's going to hold together to get through that that, that rep. Wow. So, uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not thinking necessarily, I hate this, or I'm angry. Really? It, no, it, it, it's uh, <laughs> it, it's more like, I, 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 for the sake of self-preservation, I, I hope I don't break something right. here and uh, get to the other side of it. And then, um, and then it's a matter of comfort. And so uh, uh, once I'm through that, usually the first rep or so, uh, and I can feel comfort, I can feel that I'm, I'm in a good place, uh, then I'm looking to complete that that set. So right. it, it's – and if it might be six or seven or whatever it might be that I'm trying to get through on a heavy set, yeah. uh, then it, that's that that'll be the progression. It's a matter of simply getting through – better than what I did the workout before or better than the PB that I had before. So I would train three weeks and then I'd try and beat my PB. So that would always be hit the plateau deliberately and then look to smash through it on the fourth week. And then if I didn't do that on that fourth week, I'd be somewhat uh, upset. But I'd normally know after my first or second rep Mm. whether or not I was going to beat my PB. And if I didn't, it was normally a result of poor sleep, not great. Um, usually sleep, usually sleep and, and, and relaxation, and and sometimes the um, uh, the the wanting to train sooner than I was recovered. Mm-hmm. So uh, sticking strictly to say a, a weekly um, regime of mm-hmm. doing a body part every week heavy, um, mm-hmm. and some oh, I actually found for me it was better every six or seven days. So rather than every five days, every six or seven days was better but for me. What's going on? Mentally during the set, um, mentally, in, I'm, I'm zoned out. I, I'm, I, it's black. It, it's not. Um, there's not a. It's certainly not a rage burning inside. <laughs> I'm gonna show What's you. happening though? What What are you thinking? It, it's a, it's almost meditation. It, <laughs> it, yeah. So I'm going within. So I'm right. not. I'm not trying to draw something out. I'm trying to go within because right. I feel like if my my mind's outside of myself, mm-hmm. uh, then I lose connection with everything that I need in order to through that particular rep or, or that particular set so so for me it's closer training is closer to meditation than what it is uh anger management <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah. that's is that the same no matter the rep range no matter the exercise uh i would say that that's i mean that's under duress i mean uh, um the the rep ranges i mean now i train in much higher rep ranges mm-hmm. uh, because i simply can't train as heavily and 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 nor do i feel like a one, I'm not capable um, in the same way without really injuring myself at some point. I understand now that my body's not as even as what it might be before. There's certain weaknesses and injuries and, uh, and tendencies um, within my posture that would limit me from training in that same vigorous way as previously. So as I've gotten older, the rep range... And, and to be honest with you, I, I don't record any... If I do a workout, I'm training for feel. So right. I, I'm not counting reps. Um, oh. I, yeah, I, well, <laughs> loosely. So, uh, for instance, uh, this morning um, I uh, I just did body weight squats, right. and I thought I'm going to do twenty. I'm going to do five sets of twenty. I'm going to do a hundred body weight squats, just nice and slow, all the way down, all the way up, and that that's going to be the, the that that part of that's just going to be what I'm going to do today. Mm-hmm. That's how I'm going to. And um, I, don't, I I couldn't tell you what the last three rep, uh, three sets numbers were really I, I just trained to a point of almost exhaustion and, and pulled back I, I find on the other side of exhaustion for me is injury um and so uh, i trained to that point because for me that that the the, the there's only downside on the other side of 
pushing myself beyond. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's just it, it's just an an old. It's just an, it's just an age thing. I think you know the 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 hesitancy around pushing myself beyond the comfortable almost inevitably leads me to some kind of niggle or injury that takes me out of action for much longer than what I should. So <laughs> negating any gain that I may have made from that extra one or two right. reps. So yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean that that's just moderation. Over time, and right. not having anything to really train for, you know, I don't yeah. think if you if you're dedicated to a martial art or a, or a particular strength sport, and there's <laughs> a, uh, then then fine and good on you. But uh, at uh, at 47 years of age, I'm just happy to survive the workout without hurting myself. Uh, I, I just <laughs> it's opposite. It's so, so you want to hurt yourself? <laughs> so opposite. I'm seeing every set as this is. Life or death, you got to get that number or the world's going to fall apart. <laughs> and it's like, if I go 20 reps, I'm getting 20 no matter what. The building can fall over. <laughs> I'll still get that 20. I was always about training to failure. Like when, when I was a heavyweight trainer, it, mm. I, I would uh, always end with a drop set. Yep. And sometimes two. Yep. So I always found it was a, a warm-up a warm set, a moderate set, a heavy work set. And then uh, two two failure, and then two drop sets. That was the magic formula mm-hmm. for me. And uh, and so f- it, it's always been the feel, you know. When it's a drop set, you know, it's like I wasn't counting. I'm doing. <laughs> I'm going to do fifteen here, and then I'm going to do ten. It's like if I could do twenty, and then do ten, and then do two, it didn't matter. Uh. It was when the muscle won't move anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I'm so pumped, when it's there, can't. then I'll do another fifty. Yeah, and then I'll go back there. Yeah, when you're there and you push through. <laughs> And uh, you know it's uh, you know, that such as the <laughs> subjectivity of weight yeah. training and and, uh, and and the inaccuracy of bro science. That yeah, <laughs> it's funny, though, isn't it? The, I mean, obviously everyone's got different methods, and mm. it's like whatever works for you works for and, you. And but. it's really intriguing because I, I have these conversations with um, uh, with Daniel White, who's, who was a guest on our podcast uh, previously, who's a very active weight trainer to this day, and uh, was one of the reasons why I started training in the first place. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, you know he he's now gone to training uh, with a higher rep range um, much like yourself mm-hmm. um, but he, he's dramatically changed um, how uh, his workouts mm-hmm. uh, over the years to to accommodate his aging uh, aging physique mm-hmm. and and um, and wearing joints and and all of those types of things you know where you know he's now looking at safer movements and uh, and you know he's in the shape of his life mm-hmm. now I'd, I've never seen him as strong and and he's uh, it, 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 Physically, he's a very, very imposing and looks looks amazing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very, very impressive. Very impressive mm-hmm. for somebody who's um, uh, mid to late forties. Yeah. you know, but w- well, you didn't see people like that twenty years ago in That's the mid right. to late forties. Um, but he's he's an impressive specimen. But probably what's and, and he, was, he was talking about the amazing success he's now having with his new regime. But I think. When you've been doing anything for any length of time, any new regime is a good regime. Yep. You know, the body does crave variety in mm. in, in the weight training, mm. and 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 that might I mean that might bring us nicely to uh, the last example um, that I wanted to bring our attention to um, today, which was uh, Devin Larratt, um, mm. who uh, has been has, does does change up his uh, training and uh, and and seems to have great variables um in his own weight and uh, and when we talk about um unregulated sports um arm wrestling certainly one of those at mm-hmm. the moment and mm-hmm. um, there's a there's a, a a very important um fight coming up in arm wrestling in, in very very soon um and uh, between levin and um 
and and Devon, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and and so you've got. Uh, I mean, Levan is, is a very very juicy customer, <laughs> a very very big juicy man, mm-hmm. Georgian giant, mm-hmm. um, and then you've got uh, and then you've got Devon, who seven or eight years ago was standing around about a hundred kilos, who in the lead up to um, his last major uh, bout. Um, Looked like he was about fifty kilos heavier than that, <laughs> yeah. and uh, and will need to carry that weight and perhaps a little bit more to be competitive with Levan. Mm-hmm. So um, it, we, uh, there's been some conjecture over his use of um, substances mm-hmm. in order to get himself to such a competitive level. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, it can, do we have a before? I don't know if we would be able to find so quickly a before and after of Devon Larratt, but there's certainly Devon from five or say, seven or eight years ago, where Devon was highly competitive at the highest levels of arm wrestling, um, and where Devon Larratt, maybe when he was against Denis Saplenkov, um, oh, let's try this one. So, um, uh, so Devon, Devon Larratt um, is, uh, I mean, he looks great in all of those photos, and, but th- this photo here uh, is uh, a good example of, say, Devon from... Well, that's not 2022. I would say that's Devon 2017, 2016, yeah. 2017, yeah. Uh, weighing at about 230 pounds. Yeah. Um, t- tall guys, 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, yeah. yeah, so tall guys, so um, at about 100, 510 kilos, uh, quite lean. Uh, you can see his face and his jaw um, and all of his hair. And then, uh, and then that's the that's the man when he most recently competed um, and uh, and won against Michael Todd. Mm-hmm. And um, you can see there's a, certainly a, a, a definite difference in the weight that he's carrying around his jaw, uh, maybe even in the width of his jaw and his chin. Um, he uh, certainly uh, you would even though he's a, a very very strong uh, guy. Um, you wouldn't say that his arms, apart from some of these amazing poses that you do see, where mm-hmm. he, he does, uh, I would say, um, out angle himself, out <laughs> <laughs> uh, angles his own head. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Devin is known for uh, this this particular pose where he does bring his biceps uh, somehow seven inches <laughs> his head. Um, but uh, even there, I mean, uh, this uh, when he was uh, arm wrestling, uh, the mountain might be thought of as. You know, um, a good example of Devon uh, when he was, uh, you know, in a, just probably coming off his best after uh, winning the hammer on a couple of occasions and and then being beaten uh, subsequently and just kind of coming out of his what was thought to perhaps at that stage be his heyday, and then over the last year, year the last year we've seen Devon come back uh, with a um, new wind in his sails. Mm. There's a there's no doubt that Devon has come from being somebody who two years ago was not competitive at a world-class level to somebody who is now competing uh, and, and thought to be either the best or the second best in, in the world. And, mm-hmm. and that's, that's, the, that's the difference there, and that's the difference in maybe 40 or 50 kilos of muscle. Mm. Um, he's carrying a little... Little bit of chubby wubby down by the uh, down down by the hips, and no doubt. But he, he, you know, there's uh, there ain't no there ain't no mucking around. I mean, that, that's a that's a huge individual uh, standing there at nearly 150 kilos. You'd have to say, mm. um, and uh, and that is a marked markedly different 
athlete to the man that you'll see from uh, only five years ago. So uh, Devin, Devin um, is now um, kind of trapped in some respects to uh, to peaking for each. Uh, competition is kind of forced to do that and, and so this is Devon back in the day against the, the greatest so we've got maybe number one and number two goats um, mm-hmm. on the screen uh, at what was on the screen at the time it's mm-hmm. uh, Andre Pushka there I think Andre Pushka <laughs> behind the uh, behind the shoulder mm-hmm. um, and Devon uh, pushing through so there does seem to be a time when to be um, a high level is it Michael Todd without the beard? Uh that is uh Travis Bajan. Travis Bajan. Uh, um there there he goes turn around. Um and you, there seems to be a time where only five or so years ago uh, Devon could have competed naturally and uh, entered around that one ten level. But the athletes around him uh, have grown substantially during that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, even, you know, uh, athletes of the same era. So Michael Todd, for instance, I mean, is always uh, been a been a strong uh, looking athlete, uh, but I mean he's now nearly fifty and looks like a cartoon character. Mm, I mean, it mm. looks like somebody out of a Marvel film. <laughs> he's an amazing uh, specimen. Uh, talking about physical freaks, right <laughs> yeah. there. Uh, Lubke just uh, giving in at the end. I mean, that's a that is a genetic freak in himself. So we're now in this scenario where even those people that have got all of the talent in arm wrestling really do have to prime themselves in order to be competitive yeah. on the table on the day yeah. and give thought to what other supplementation and and like may have. Is this bad for arm wrestling? No, I think that it's going to be the same in, in all sports. Uh, and one of the key elements to success is if you can't beat your local level without having to use stuff, you're not going to be an elite, um, well, I guess, in arm wrestling or in any sport if you if you are not successful at the basic entry level. Then taking performance enhancing drugs to get yourself above that d- means that you're never going to make it at the elite because the elite were successful uh, all the way through until they got to the very top, and then at that point, if they want to go against the other elite. That's where okay now the difference can be the the performance enhancing drugs. Yeah. Uh, but if somebody is starting, let's let's use arm wrestling. So somebody joins a local club and they're struggling against the people that are there. They might be a year in, uh, and it's like okay, you might be ranked twelfth. It's like you can't beat number eleven, you can't beat ten, or all the way through to one. Yeah. But then you might start using something. All of a sudden, you can meet everyone. Yeah. <laughs> you meet everyone there. But that doesn't mean that if you go to a national competition that you're going to be able to win there. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that's your limit. Yeah. And you had to use something to get to there. Whereas if somebody is naturally genetically advantaged, they can beat people in the club, they can win at the national level, and then they're going into the international level. Mm. uh, And then adding the performance enhancing to somebody at, at that level is going to carry them to the elite. And even the people at the elite level, you know, you'll see that there's differences between the, the people at the very pinnacle, the one, two, three guys, and then there's a bit of a drop. So same with, with bodybuilding. Yeah. You know, if you can't win the local show yeah. using stuff, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, know. You know. It, there's, um, 
Yeah, so I take that point on on him. But at what point does um, at what point for uh, if you're if you're that guy at a local level that's consistently being beaten by somebody else who's um, using something, it's on the supplementation, it's on the overrooms. Yeah. Um, let let let's say um, that, you know that that obviously can have a demoralising effect and can mean that there, there might be athletes that are choose not 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 to compete yep. um, any longer as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's um, that's something. The, the other thing is is that the, the long-term uh, effects, both positive and negative, associated with that. So now we've got athletes that may have uh, used substances in the past that are now competing uh, naturally, mm-hmm. but what kind of gains or what kind of advantages have they yeah. um, enjoyed as a result of their use? And that's not easily quantifiable. Yeah. Um, and it, it may, may have served as some con- conjecture around some recent matchups where you know the, both parties are purporting to be natural, but then one may have gained an advantage through not being natural previously, yeah. uh, and being able to retain some of the benefits of, yeah. of, of that growth. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a bit of a it's an un, unusual um, paradigm that arm wrestling now now finds itself in to mm-hmm. find that mm-hmm. uh, leveling. And uh, there's going to be two things that uh, there's going to be one thing that'll exacerbate, and but it'll also be the thing that helps it, and it's money in the sport. Yeah. Um, money in the sport will maybe pressure some to push themselves and to uh, to 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 partake um, mm-hmm. in in substance use uh, in order to gain that advantage. But their money into the sport over time would be that thing that means that well, you know, at different levels, at national levels or international competitions, that uh, you know we we can have a more stringent. Uh, regime around testing and mm-hmm. that type of thing is uh, the prize money and the and the sponsors that are associated with the sport. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things with uh, um, bodybuilding that's kind of kept it somewhat away, um, and it's been the inability of bodybuilding over time to attract sponsors outside yep. of the supplement world. Yep. Um, it's very very niche. Um, you don't have a Toyota, or you don't. Um, whereas in say the world of golf and tennis and um, say the mainstream uh, winter sports like the, the footballs and the sockets and the like, they attract those big brands. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the major reasons why um, uh, perhaps uh, why bodybuilding hasn't mm-hmm. um, has been because brands don't want to be associated yeah. with the, the negative side of substance use. Yep. Um, and it, my fear for arm wrestling is, is it's now that sport that's going through that twilight zone of legitimacy. Um, there's not a, a peak body that uh, seems to be um, giving direction um, over these matters um, and promoters are increasingly taking the initiative um, and the rule set seemingly are by agreement um, where we, uh, we're in this twilight zone where um, the sport could go either way. It could mm-hmm. go back to pubs and uh, being, you know, one of the three sports that's that's played in front bars, along with darts and pool, mm-hmm. um, or it can catapult itself into mainstream consciousness in the same way as the UFC. And how it is that the UFC, I feel, attracted the Reeboks and mm-hmm. the big brands mm-hmm. was because it was a clean sport. Yep. And uh, Reebok wants to be associated with. Um, well, they don't want to be associated with the other stuff. Mm-hmm. That's the main thing. Yeah. Um, and so arm wrestling, 
isn't this twilight zone? It's at the crossroads, and the next few years will be very telling. Um, and this is no besmirchment on the great people like Devon Larratt, who's done probably more for the sport than anybody else, and um, and continues to. And it's no, and it's no, um, it, 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 there's no besmirchment on any uh, any of the athletes that that are involved. Mm-hmm. Everybody is trying to put on a great show and ensure that there's attention on the sport and that the sport continues to grow. And I don't believe there's any malice, and and certainly within arm wrestling, you know, no one's going to. End up dead as a result of one athlete being juicier than the other, as it might be the case in, say, some of those fighting sports. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in this case, it's a relatively safe combat sport, mm-hmm. um, and where um, where the strength is largely obvious. Um, and um, as we can see right now, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> as uh, Devon posts and regrips and goes higher and. That, that's Michael Todd under the table, yeah. isn't it? Uh, <laughs> yeah, Michael Todd's just, uh, yeah, just getting pressed out there and has nowhere to go, and that that was that. And uh, so we, <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, so here we go. And this is a two twenty, Devon Larratt, arm curling, on a negative, albeit. Does he pull it back up? I can't re- remember. It's not. A, it's not a full extension. This is an yeah. arm wrestling kill, most definitely. This is not a. <laughs> so there we go. I mean, there's 80 kilos. That's a, a lot of weight hanging over one arm. doesn't matter. And, and one of the attractive things with arm wrestling for some time has been the phenomenon of the man on the left-hand side of the screen there, um, John Brzezink, who is, is essentially been the hoist gracie of, uh, of arm wrestling in that he's been the smaller guy, uh, the David fighting the Goliaths. Mm-hmm. And, and that's been part of the attraction and mystique for everyday people who uh, have found themselves attracted to the sport mm. um, and it would be a shame to see some of that go away and where the UFC was able to transition out of that period where you had the David and Goliath fights to uh, going with uh, weight divisions uh, and, and arm wrestling seems to be moving in, in that direction. Mm-hmm. What, what's a, a, a little bit concerning is even somebody like uh, John Brzezink who you'd imagine would comfortably stand around at 95, maybe 100 kilos, uh, having to compete at 115 120 kilos mm. in order to even be competitive on the table yeah um yeah yeah it's evolution evolution of the sport um and i think if it does follow the same trajectory and get to the same levels and of mainstream like the ufc it will go through maybe a 20 30 year progression of performance enhancing being a mainstay and a necessary component to be competitive until the sport gets to a level where you can get those major sponsors on board with money and it's like hey we're not going to be involved in this unless you clean it up yeah. uh, where you know uh, the, the promotions might be big enough that's like okay now we can implement testing now we can start to look at doing that but at the moment, if they started, no one was going to go to their event. Yeah. <laughs> if they said, oh, by the way, we're putting on this big event, but everyone's going to get tested. It's like, uh, yeah, no one's turning uh, up. Okay. It's yep. like, yeah, we'll just go to the other one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we go to the other pub. Yeah, exactly. uh. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's going to be a progression. Uh, at the moment, the progression of the sport in terms of where it is to where it will get to if it continues will involve it's unfortunate it's the way of sport at the moment so so performance enhancers in the UFC bad at the moment they are not well they're not existent but it was bad not existent no 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 but it was what was bad and now it's been fixed so it's no longer a problem it's so it's, UFC, it's not a problem in theory. In and from theory, the outsider's perspective, it's no longer. A, it's not a problem for the sport. You don't have people 
sponsors, general public, fans, particularly. Right. No, no, it's not an issue for the UFC. So, so, so they UFC have gone. That that's a bad thing, uh-huh. and we're quite clear on that. We're not yeah. going to accept it. Right. That's not. They've, they've put a, a process in in place, a process. which makes it look like it's not being as used as it. Yes, yes, it might be. So that and and that that's 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 that's. So we've got UFC said steroids bad. Bodybuilding steroids good. They they want they, more steroids. They like it. More steroids for the bodybuilding, right. and the natural guys can have some too. Right? Why not? Yeah, get it around. Uh, and arm wrestling is a bit in between, where good now, but not you know maybe great into the future as it transitions to the mainstream. Yeah, excellent. Well, there you we go. cover it all. I think it. we covered it. I think we covered it. So, uh, well, I mean, it was an awesome episode as there always, Matt. Thanks so much again. No, it was great. And, yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, and uh, to, to all those people that are, are watching and hung in there right till now, where you can see more of this man on Sunday morning. Yeah. Uh, Sunday morning here on the deep end. With uh, you can see more, you're not just the left, but he may also show the right on. Oh no, hang on, hang on, it's getting out. It's getting out. There's there's the split, ladies and gentlemen. It's the bicep split that you've all come to see. (laughs) Probably can't see it. I've got got a bicep split under here. There you go. Yeah, it's under here. It's under. You'll just have to believe me. <laughs> and we'll bring a whole lot more um, daily combat uh, thoughts, views, reviews, and insights very, very soon. Thanks so much for joining us again. We'll talk to you very, very soon. You've been listening to the Daily Combat Podcast. Special thanks also go out to our main sponsor, Real Estate Agents Group. This company is growing to become one of South Australia's largest independent real estate groups. With their board of directors with over 100 years of collective real estate industry experience, Real is for real people by real people. Check them out on Facebook under Real Estate Agents Group or visit their website urbanandruralsales.com.au The Daily Combat Podcast is proudly brought to you by Dave Stockbridge, Isabella Rossitano and Hollywood Matt Connolly. Make sure to give us a five-star review as this helps us to continue to promote combat sports in Australia and around the world. You can find out more information about the podcast at dailycombatnews.com You can also follow us on all social media platforms with full video episodes available on YouTube. Just search The Daily Combat Podcast. Thank you again for listening from all of us here at The Daily Combat Podcast team.